Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Bardi back for Supercoach TLT Round 4. Can't believe that we've already gone three TLTs and three weeks of footy. Feels like it's flown past. We've got a debut for this 2023 season, although Tim has been on the NRL All-Stars Podcast before. Tim, known very well from the Supercoach Tragics Podcast, but also now on the Supercoach Off the Bench Podcast, which is a great one as well. So... Tim, you've been around on a lot of the different podcasts and stuff, and you got off the bench happening now. Tell us a bit about that. Oh, mate, it's, um, thanks very much for having me on. It's, it's great to be back here. It's always good to talk footy with you, Barnsley, um, and with other like-minded people. Yeah, look, it's uh, off the bench really came about after the, the BBL season. So myself and uh, and three of the other boys, we've been doing a lot of stuff for the last couple of years with Supercoach 360 and also with Supercoach Tragics. And we just had a bit of a chat in the off-season um, throughout the BBL we uh, actually managed to get a few special guests, as in actual BBL players, on our show. Uh, so we, yeah, we interviewed um, oh, Chris Tremaine, we, uh, Jimmy Neesham. We, we had a few stars on. It was really good. And uh, just from, from doing something a little bit different, the four of us had a bit of a chat and said, well, maybe it's about time we stop doing the work for everybody else and we come off the bench <laughs> and start our own show. So that's exactly what we did, pretty much how it all came about, mate. The four of us took a step from behind the scenes for other people's shows and other people's podcasts and Facebook pages and essentially took ourselves off the bench and in the starting line as uh, Off the Bench was born. So we've uh, we've been going all guns blazing for about six weeks. Uh, I think we're around about 400 members on our Facebook page. It's it's building uh, 50 to 75 sort of members a week and, and it's been fantastic. We actually had a, a couple of early teething problems, which you, you tend to do with these sorts of things. We, we set up our Facebook page and... Um, and Brad, who was sort of uh, Brad and Ross, who were, were putting it all together behind the scenes. Um, unfortunately, Ross, by mistake, ticked the uh, the private group box at some stage, and it took us about forty eight hours to realise why people weren't jumping on. And uh, unfortunately, it got to that point then where we were too far gone and couldn't take it back. So we had to scrap the page and start again, and called it something slightly different, uh, but still off the bench essentially. And uh, yeah, so we, we had a 175 members or something and then had to put a post on to say, look, sorry, guys, but we've uh, we've made a mistake and we've got to fix it and start a new show. So, yeah, so anyway, all's well, it ends well. We're, we're cruising along, mate. We've got a lot of people that are reading articles and, and it's growing all the time. So keep an eye out this week. I've got a Timio's Fear Factor uh, coming out, focusing on some of the Manly boys after their buy last week, and I think it'll be big buys this week. Um, and well worth putting into your super coach team. The other one that I like to do is uh, what's the go with Timmy O? Uh, a bit of an article that just basically looks at a lot of the stuff, much like what we talk about, um, or we have talked about before, Barnsley, on your talk footy show. So um, much the same sort of theory. It's just what's the go with the NRL? What's the go with some certain decisions and how the hell they come up with it? And, and what sort of effect is that going to have on not just super coach, but just on the NRL in general? Awesome. Well, a lot of work that you're doing there. I don't know how you're finding the time, mate, but a lot of content for everyone to jump on for Rugby League and for Supercoach especially. But this podcast as well, obviously Supercoach is tonight's episode and you can get us every Wednesday. It normally hits on everywhere, iTunes, Amazon, SoundCloud, pretty much everywhere. But 
with the Talking Footy, Tim O'Connor has been on the Talking Footy podcast before. And we've had some really good footy chats on that one, but that one hits around about every Thursday afternoon. Sometimes it might run a little bit later. And that one's just talking rugby league, which is great. So no super coach. So you've got those two episodes every week. For this episode, though, it is the super coach TLT round four episode, Tim. So interesting week this one. Round three is in the rearview mirror now. And it was a tough round again. So, I mean, overall, before we look at our teams and a couple of little points and things that we want to discuss about the round review, overall, it was a tough round again. And we've seen three weeks in a row now where it's been pretty tough going. Like normally sort of by round three, you start to see some more 1200s popping around in the scores and certainly the 1100s are more normal. Those sort of under 1000 scores, you kind of get week one a little bit week two, but you sort of, by week three, it really dissipates and you're getting those 1,000 plus ones. It felt like this week that it was like, well, you got 1,000 this past round in round three. It's actually a pretty good score. You know, it's um, it just seems to be that we're scraping for points and it's it's very different this few, first few rounds. Yeah, it's been really interesting, mate. Some of the guns that we're, we're used to seeing, the, the hundreds, 150-odd points um, just haven't been firing, obviously, uh, Nico Hines has been out. We've had guys like Pappy that's been out. Uh, Munster's been out. So there's been a fair bit of mishmash with a lot of the teams. Obviously, the uh, the Dolphins coming in has made a bit of a difference. I think a lot of us, um, even su- seasoned super coaches, have, have had our doubts about how well the Dolphins were really going to go. And, and as an NRL fan as well, I think we, we sort of uh, didn't think they were going to hit the heights that they certainly have. So that's been a massive surprise for all of us. But yeah, look. As far as um, as weekly scoring goes, like I'm only sitting average, just above a thousand points. I think I, I knocked out eleven seventy the first week. I think it was nine oh nine or something last week, and a thousand and forty three this week. So quite disappointing. I'm sitting back in about twenty four thousandth. Um, I started. I think I was in just over three k after round one, and then yeah, I dropped back. Points in the first week, uh, sorry, from the second week, and then drop back again this week, even with the 1,043. So it's been a bit interesting. I don't think there's a lot of points in the sort of top 20-odd thousand um, from zero to one, uh, zero to 24, 25, whatever. So it's it's going to be interesting. And hopefully we are, the guys like ourselves who, who do all the research, hopefully we can pull our way back up there. Hopefully. It does seem like a lot of the seasoned Supercoach veterans aren't doing so well rank-wise. Um, I always sort of throw away rank at the start of a season anyway. I'm not too concerned about it, but it is starting to be pretty concerning in how hard it is to score points and differentiate between teams as well. Uh, I'm going to do a new segment this week or during our round reviews, which is called The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. The older people that are listening to the podcast might understand the Clint Eastwood reference. Fantastic old Clint Eastwood film, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, but we're going to do it for our super coach team. So... I'll go first to lead the way, Tim. Uh, the good, for me, it was definitely, I could just go for the low-hanging fruit here and say the good in my team was Harry Grant and captaining him. I didn't start with Harry Grant. I, I got him in this week and put the C on him, and that worked out a treat because he scored 105 points and obviously doubled for me at 210. It was a good trade-in, but it was sort of one that I planned to do the week prior because of how things were unfolding with the hooker spot. But I'm going to actually do one that, scored less than him, but I was just really happy with uh, my patience on over the first few weeks or certainly first couple of weeks, I did preach patience a lot, especially week one where people were just ready to trade everybody. I really think that patience at this time is really, really important and it can really hurt you 
if you can't have that super coach patience and also not look past the week that just was. And for me, Matt Burton was a good for me. And it sounds a bit funny. He only scored 76, but that's a pretty good score. He was horrendous the first two weeks. And I just sort of made the call this week that a lot of people were selling him. And I said last week on the podcast, I thought he was a really good matchup. And I thought that he could score good points. Now, I have to say, it was annoying that he stopped goal kicking. That really sucked because he would have been 90 plus. But 76 points out of Matt Burton and actually holding him and not, not punting him for that matchup ended up really important for me. So that's my good one because I really needed that 76 points from someone like Burton, especially after people jumped off him. I had some other guys that scored better, but he he was just a, a one that a lot of people jumped off and, and didn't get the score from. So it, it kind of helped me out a lot. And I was also very close to jumping on the train of selling. So I was pretty pleased that I kept him. Uh, the bad, can I just tell you that Christian Welsh has trapped me about three years in a row and I'm just over it. Like, I don't mean to pile on Welshy. 28 points on the weekend for me. Uh, I wasn't on Welsh in the preseason. And this is the same story for a few years in a row for me. Wasn't on him in the preseason. End up getting on him because the minutes look good. The role looks good. He looks good in the preseason and stuff. And then I get him and he just does me dirty every time. He got a real average low 50s last week. He got 28 this week. He didn't get the minutes this week either. And apparently he wasn't injured when I was hoping he was because at least that explained it. That was bad, but the ugly, this is super, super ugly. I went 30 seconds to go before lockout of that Gold Coast Titans-Melbourne Storm game. When You know what? I said on the podcast, I want every piece of the Melbourne Storm and Trent Liero, I'm not playing at the moment. What am I doing? I, I need to do this. The Melbourne Storm are absolutely going to put carnage on the Gold Coast Titans after their terrible inept display the week before. Pulled the reserve off Alamoti. And I threw it on Trent Liero. And that was like a 50-point difference, 40-point difference. And it doesn't sound like much at this time of year, but it is a huge amount of rank at this time of year, that 40 points in a round, and especially when you're chasing. And it just pissed me off because the whole week I had had the reserve on Alamodi. It, it was the right play. I panicked beforehand, and it just got real ugly where I was just searching for options that just weren't there, and I just needed to stick solid. So, mate, that's my ones. It could have been a better week, um, but there were certainly a few other ones that I could have talked about on the ugly side. Yeah, look, absolutely. It's, um, uh, to make even less happy, Christian Welsh actually downgraded to uh, to 25, so he, he lost three more points there. It's, um, it, it's interesting when I... Uh, I haven't had a really good look at my team uh, since updates came in just before. Obviously, I, I saw it at lockout and saw it on Sunday night and Monday morning, but then as uh, a couple of points here and there went on through Monday. Um, look, I also had Harry Grant. Um, my good was uh, was Tommy Turbo, and I had the VC on him from Thursday night. In the end, I kind of wish that maybe I didn't have this, the VC on him. Um, I actually, probably the bad was not so much... Um, the way things worked out, but yeah, my uh, my decision. I actually looped turbo. Now that's something that I wouldn't normally do uh, under 130 points. 130 is my magic number for looping. At the time, turbo was only sitting on 103, um, or I think even 102. Uh, but I just got a little bit scared with everybody else scoring really low up until like the Saturday evening game. Um, I actually went to the Broncos game, so there was a. a it's obviously a little bit difficult when you go to footy all the time and, and you're trying to watch other games to see how points is being scored. But then also you've got that time from leaving the couch at home, 
um, or, or sitting on the bus or then going to the stadium. The issue that we have with Suncorp Stadium is a lot, at, uh, quite often, is the um, the internet bandwidth uh, gets exceeded and all of a sudden you can't do anything on your phone because you basically run out of internet in the stadium. So uh, even though I'm a Telstra customer and, and all the rest of it, but it just doesn't always go to plan. There's been quite often where I've sat in the stadium and waited for the teams to actually be announced um, and tried to make changes and things not work. So, look, what I actually did was I VC'd Tommy um, up until the Broncos kickoff. I had the captaincy on Payne Haas. Um, I'd spent most of Saturday talking to a lot of the other Supercoach podmasters and um, asking various questions and running through different scenarios. I used the um, the captaincy calculator on um, uh, on Wilfred's side, actually, uh, Supercoach Champions. So I, I had a bit of a play around with it. I factored in Haas. I put in for a 75. Um, I had Tommy Turbo at the time at 102 or 103, whatever he was at that stage. Uh, I had Alamotti, who I was playing as my reserve, and put him in as a 55. Uh, and then at the time, I'd already had Will Warbrick play. Um, but I think at the time I had whoever it was on uh, 26 points or 25 points or whatever the hell it was. So, um, or 28, I think, whoever it was that I had at the time. So, look, I I did all the number crunching. I tried to do everything the smart way um, and and still came up with numbers and went, look, every time I punched everything in and even if I changed points here and there by five or up or down, it just kept coming out that looping was actually the better option for me in that particular situation. Come halftime in the Broncos game, it uh, it looked fantastic. Uh, even with 15 minutes to go, Payne Haas, while he was sitting on the bench, and I'm sitting there watching him like a hawk, 15 minutes to go. That last hit 50, just killed you, didn't it? It was like a massive last hit. I, I was feeling like an absolute bloody Cheshire cat. I was a fucking genius and everything was going to plan perfectly. Uh, sure enough, he comes on with 12 minutes to go and absolutely blitzes it. What do you get? 42 points or 45 points or something in the last 10 to 12 minutes or whatever the hell it was. So, look, the the theory was solid. Um, it, obviously, even if he came on and got 20 points, 25 points, it, it all would have gone to plan. But unfortunately, that's super coach. That's the way it works sometimes. I went against the grain uh, from looking at everybody else's scores. It looked like a really great play until Payne Haas banged out the best part of 50 points in that last 15 minutes and really killed me. So, mate, for me personally, that was probably my bad. Uh, obviously, dropping Alamotti and, um, uh, yeah, it, it, it just didn't work well. Um, probably the really ugly part is um, my bench. I still had Cam Pereira with 65, Alamotti with a 78, Preston with a 69. Even uh, big Steph Udukamano was, uh, had a 48. So, mm. look, I had plenty of points on my bench, and I think I've got three or four scores in my 17 that were under 30. So, wasn't the greatest round for me, but looking at the numbers at uh, 10.43, I, I really thought I was going to be par or thereabouts, but still managed to drop 5,000 spots. So, yeah, not all goes to plan. But you've got to do these things, especially early in the year. Like the difference, if that came off, that might have meant the the plus or minus of 100-odd points So in comparison to everybody else. But that's super coach. We, we play for that, and um, that's all part of the fun, isn't it, Barzi? It is. It's also very frustrating. But, uh, it, look, you raise a, a couple of good talking points with that one as well because one of them is the VC loop, and you always inadvertently see quite a bit of controversy about it uh, with people thinking that it's 
cheap or you shouldn't use it. It shouldn't be part of the game. There needs to be rules put in place to stop it and all this stuff. What people always need to remember, I mean, look, I'll, it's, it's almost like what political side of the fence you're on when you talk about the loop because it's sort of how yeah, it's yeah. separated. Look, to me, it's yeah. part of the game. If you can do it in a game, and this is even in sport, you know, like even on the rugby league field when people say, oh, you can't hit someone like that. Or you can't. If you're allowed to do it, it's part of the game. Don't complain yeah. about it. And if, you, if you're upset about it happening to you, then do it back. Go and loop someone. But what people need to remember in Supercoach, and it's part of your the bad part of your uh, story there, is that it doesn't come off that often. It is actually quite hard to execute a successful loop, whether that is because your your original captain ends up outscoring them anyway, whether it's because your auto emergency ends up getting knocked out and you get one point, or you know, like you said, you take somebody out that ended up being really good to play you know there's there's a lot of ways that the loop can go wrong most of the time it does and a lot of the time people don't even use it anyway like i reckon i've only looped probably on average about twice a year twice a season is probably how many times to actually execute a loop and it probably works 50 percent of the time as well so yeah that's one thing the other thing too is that it's important point you make about your bench with guys like Khan Pereira and stuff on there it's become really difficult in that center wing spot especially to be able to pick who you should play each week because the competition's been so close. It's meant that you're picking guys based on how you think teams should perform and none of them are really performing the way that anyone would pick them on a form guide in the NRL at the moment, which means it just plays havoc with your your centre wing. And it's not hard at the moment to go through three rounds and picking the wrong centre wings every single time, right? I mean, I picked Khan Pereira at the start of the year because I thought he was going to get a double and he gets his five, five points, that is, not five tries. And then obviously on the weekend, uh, he scores, what, 65 points against the Melbourne Storm when they put up a lot of points and he scores a double. So it's very hard. And as you pointed out, there's a lot of people on everyone's benches at the moment that are outscoring everyone else. Yeah, and that's the hard part, mate. Like even um, trying to work out your centre wing at the moment is still a bit of a lottery with um, with players. I mean, Grant Pereira scores well one week and, and not so well the next week. Like you bang out a, a 65 or whatever it was this week. Um, I sort of thinking that the um, the Storm were going to play really well against the Titans, and I, I backed Will Warbrick in and uh, scored me all of 14 points. So it's always hard when you look at that, especially when, uh, like I said, I, I dropped 5,000-odd places. Just by swapping those two players around gets me all of a sudden up to like an 1,100-point score, and that probably would have, would have jumped me 5,000-plus places. So it's um it is a little bit of a lottery. Teams are beating teams that we're not expecting. Uh, I think all three weeks so far as as far as footy tipping itself has gone. I think all three weeks I've got four out of eight. So yeah, look, nothing seems to be going quite to plan at the moment. Obviously, as the season progresses, there'll be more patterns involved. Um, but yeah, it, it certainly is a plus at the moment if you have the ability to watch every game. I think there's little things in each game where you can sort of pick up a, a bit of extra advice, a bit of extra information to keep your eye on for, for the weeks ahead. So at this stage, that's certainly the best advice I could give everyone. But as far as trying to run the loop actually goes, again, the best advice I can give is make sure you do the number crunching. Don't just sort of try and work it out in your head or, or, or whatever. There's there's facilities there on other Podmasters sites that, that are there to help you. Um, and always, I think, if you check in with some of the Facebook chat groups or, or even just um, – yeah, just just through Facebook itself. Always make sure you ask the questions of some of the more experienced guys. We get questions all the time about 
should I loop or, or what's a good loop score and those sorts of things. My general rule of thumb is 130, but again, it's completely team dependent um, and, and sort of what you're looking at for the rest of the weekend, I guess. 100%. Uh, well, we're having a look at quickly the numbers and on the review of round three. It's another low scorer. So certainly last round it was a little bit better because we did have one of those first big scores with 148 points that we got from Karaz. That's that's the season high at the moment, 148 points. Sometimes you go through the first few weeks of football and you don't get a 150-plus score. That's that's not that uncommon. But you do get a lot more 120s and 130s than what we're seeing. Uh, so he's a bit of an outlier. We haven't even had anyone in the 130s yet this week. 114 is the top score. It's almost like it's reversed back to what it was round one and two. 114 points, and the second best was 107. So, again, you've got these scores just scraping over the ton mark. It does explain a lot of the lower scoring at the moment when you have a look at the round. Out of the top 10 scores, we had eight tons, and a few of them were just 101, 103, 103, 104, 104, 105. You got all of them by the top two out of those eight tons that are within five points of not being a ton. So not a big round of scoring, uh, which why is why, you know, maybe something like looping less than 130 at the moment, Tim, might actually look like a solid idea if that trend continues. So that's what you can take out of the trends. And the other big one that just keeps continuing is that we've only got two of these top 10 scorers from round three who are actually not pod territory and Harry Grant at 37% ownership and also Tom Trevojevic at just over 50% ownership. So everyone else is very low ownership. And really, aside from Lachlan Miller at 7.2 and Nick Mee at 7.5%, then you know the other six, you're talking about easily under 3% ownership. So huge pod territory and guys like Montoya, uh, Tessie New, uh, Colin Matangi, Adam, oh, Adam Reynolds is a little bit higher now, but still uh, Jackson Paul has at 1.7%. It's 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 very hard at the moment to jump on the guns and get the big scores, isn't it? Just even looking at, at the like footy tipping itself, like it's so hard to get your head around which team's going to win and which team's going to score points and how much they're going to score points. Obviously, that is a direct correlation then into super coach and which particular players you think are going to score well against which particular team. So, look, it's um it is really is a bit of a lottery at the moment, and it, it is quite surprising when you look at those numbers there. I didn't realise that it was quite so low already this season. And the fact that you said, what was it, five or six players that finished between 100 and 105? Um, yep. Out yeah, of, that's, that's pretty out there. Out of eight tonnes. So. Means, means my uh, looping turbo maybe wasn't such a dumb decision. Obviously, it didn't work out. but um, And that was my logic, mate. When you look across the round, that everyone's scores were really low. And at that point, I don't think anybody else had, had really banged a big ton out. So, yeah, it's um, maybe maybe the, the 130 isn't quite the, the the loopable score now. Maybe it is back to sort of 120 or 115, something like that. Yeah, well, that's a really good segue into our strategy chat for this week uh, because our strategy chat, we're going to be talking about high-risk plays. And we're going to be using me as an example because I always like to be honest on the podcast and also talk about what I'm doing with my team and different things and whatever. And, look, I've been pretty uh, adamant that I want to hold guys like James Tedesco. I want to hold guys like Nathan Cleary. And I've said that from from round one um, when everybody was starting to get a bit nervous about these guys. What I will say is something I say, I think, almost every podcast, the the number one bit of advice I give myself on Supercoach is that you have to be really malleable. You have to be dynamic. You have to be fluid with your thinking. What I mean by that is you got to be a, 
it's fine to have your opinion on how something is going to work out. But inadvertently, when things change and you've got enough data and you can see it going another way, you've got to be able to U-turn and make a different decision and just change. It's not going back on what you said because if everybody goes and does exactly what they say for 27 rounds of a full season, it's not going to work. You've got to go with the changes and go with the flow to make the adjustments. If you can't make the adjustments on the fly, you get left behind. It's also very different team to team. And this is probably where I come into it, Tim. I'm someone who has started off with pretty low scores for the first few weeks. I don't put too much pressure on the first few weeks of scoring, but it's starting to build as far as pressure goes. And now I don't need to do anything, uh, I think, too crazy. I'm not going to bring in like three under 3% owned pods as my three trades and boost every week for a few weeks in a row. But it does mean I need to consider some other options on ways to spruce up my team to get some different players in there and do some different things with my 17. So all that comes down to James Tedesco coming in uh, off a 60 against Souths and now having a buy and having a break even around 113 points. So one of the things that I was keen on last week was the first score of 51 was going to drop out, obviously, once we got past round three. Hope was that he was going to score an 80 or a 90 at least, uh, and that break even was going to be well below 100, and he's going to sort of balance out the money a little bit. Obviously, when he's got a uh, buy as well, that's another concern. Uh, And when I'm looking at my 17 this week, it's all of a sudden, well, I can't put the best 17 I'd like to on the field. Uh, There is guys like Nico Hines who are premium and present an opportunity. And we may as well talk about Nico now for my team. I'm looking at bringing in Nico Hines this week. And my argument for it is that I don't think that it is the best move for everybody to to trade James Tedesco. I think it's a high-risk move, and I'd still much rather keep James Tedesco. But for me to do something different, I need to take a risky play. And it's a considered risk where I'm going to get somebody else that's a top point scorer in the league who was number one last year at 86 points a game. Now, Teddy doesn't play this week either. That's the other thing as well. But my big thing with Nico Hines is it is very hard at the moment to make up ground without doing a really high-risk play, which I'm not a fan of doing. So, you know, I don't want to get uh, Montoya in, who was the second-highest scorer last week. I don't want to get a Brent Naden in, who was the sixth-highest scorer last week. Like, these guys might feel good for one week, but it's like winning the lottery for one week, and you've got to win the lotto for them to go well. And then all the other weeks, it's, it's just shot money. You've just killed yourself. So those are really high-risk plays. So how else do you get up on the competition in Supercoach and start to claw back ground other than getting, you know, these guys like that. You look for someone who you know is a proven point scorer, who has a massive ceiling, and getting on him early in Hines, he's probably going to be about 5 6% ownership this week. You will never get a hit on Nico Hines at that ownership again for the rest of the year. So that's why I'm looking at doing this. Um, but it does, you know, it is quite a bold strategy. It's not something that I would recommend again a lot of people will say yeah training Joe Sudesco is great training Nathan Cleary is great I don't think it is I still stand by what I said the last couple of weeks before this I'd rather hold them I just don't have another avenue in my team to really get that rocket that I need to steady the ship Um, and I'm planning on hopefully getting James Tedesco back in a couple of weeks. Um, And I've got plans around that too. And that's probably the other thing with your strategies like this. You've got to have plans in in advance. You know, I'm not going to go without James Tedesco for long. He's got Parramatta coming out of the bye. Uh, He could score well there. I'm really worried about it. And then he's got the Storm. I did think that those games were going to be hard, Tim, but the way Parramatta and the Storm are played, 
it, it really worries me not having him for those, but I'm probably going to bite the bullet not having him for those and go for Nico Hines. It's a high-risk play, I guess, in the general sense of the of the word, but, again, pretty team-specific. What do you think about that type of thing? Yeah, look, I absolutely agree, mate. I went a little bit left field last week. I made a couple of downgrades and I said, well, I basically I made three downgrades after last week. I didn't make any trades after round one. I used my first boost last week, made three trades, but they were all cash orientated. So I knew full well that I was probably going to take a hit in the points last week, but I purely just focused on making money. Um, after round one, I think I had 350-odd K sitting in the bank. Now after round two, I've only made one trade so far. Um, oh, sorry, after after the, the first price change, um, I've only made one trade so far of Egan Butcher to Schuster, and all of a sudden I've got 560K there. So I actually made um, a left-field change last week and brought in Tricky Trindle, uh, knowing full well that he was going to go up somewhere in the vicinity of between 80 and 100K, um, and so at which point it just made getting Nico that little bit closer. I know a lot of people were scared off Trindle because – they sort of said it's, it's really only a one-week play and is it worth it? Look, if I did that in one trade, like it, it means that now I can probably just make two trades this week and bring Nico Hines in by going Trindle straight up to Hines. So I, by going butchered down, um, I, I banked 200K, which is now, like I said, I'm up to about 560. I really only need to make one more downgrade of, I mean, it could be a Liero or it could be someone similar that's, it's made a little bit of cash, but um, I really only need another 50 or 60K, whatever it is, to then turn Trindle back up into um, Nico Hines, and I'm, I'm all for it, mate. If he's sitting at under 10 or 12% when this next round kicks off, I'm, I'm absolutely all over it as a pod. And I think there's going to be a lot of teams that aren't going to be able to do it unless they sell the likes of Latrell Mitchell or Teddy or Cleary or, or those sorts of guys. Obviously, there's a bit of chat around Dewey, what's going to happen with him. I think a lot of people will probably look at downgrading Dewey and then moving uh, Isaac, Isaac Katoa um, around in the halves and maybe they can get um, can get Nico in that way. But, yeah, look, I'm not going to have to sell a gun. I can make another downgrade from a mid-ranger to a, a cheapie, basically find 60K and just make the two trades and bring Nico straight in. So all of a sudden my team, uh, I'd probably get rid of some dead wood and, and bring an absolute gun in. Yeah, and, and part of the strategy, even though it's high risk, is that you're getting a proven point scorer in if you do something like I'm doing as well. Uh, I'm not going for a, an ultra pod trying to search for a 100-plus score. And going back to what we're, doing, we're talking about in the round review, we're talking about how there's just no real big scores at the moment. Now, what that means is you could think of it one of two ways. One way would be, well, maybe the, we're not going to get those type of scores. I don't think that's right. I think we will. But the way that I'm thinking about it, which really worries me, we're not going to get, if we're not going to get as many of those scores, when you miss out on them, it's going to hurt you a lot more. So I don't want Nico Hines, for example, to go out and score 150 points this week and to miss out on it. Because I might not get another 150 point score for the rest of the year. Like you, you just, I think at the moment for this season, how it's panning out, it's just going to be gold. And this is a game where he threw 200 points on the Warriors last year at Points Bet Stadium as well. So you've got to be looking at that upside and those upside plays. And you can take some risk with it. My risk with it is, you know, it's Teddy going out. He Teddy could come out and score 100 on, on the Eels and probably could even hit his break even 113. You know, I, I could see it happening. He's got a, a career high of 
180 against the Eels. When you're looking at his Eels games, he's like playing the Eels before it is at Allianz Stadium, so I am worried. I've even looked at crazy things like getting Teddy back for that game and trading him out for one week, which is just burning too many trades for me. But again, when you're looking at risking stuff at the moment, I think now's the time to do it to get your team right where you're going to hit as many of those guys that might get those big scores as possible. Uh, I don't think that's that much of a risk if you need to burn some trades. But, you know, high-risk plays, sometimes you need to change your mindset on a couple of your moves for your team-specific stuff. I reckon if I looked at 90% of teams, Tim, I'd say to them, look, keep Teddy and and do this other move or this other move, you know. So it is very team-specific. If I look at my team, it's the only way I can really generate enough money to be able to make a difference, to get two guns in, to really try and get my point scoring injection happening. So it's just interesting um, mindset for everybody to think about, I think, about being a little bit dynamic. And also when you're looking at advice from any of the content creators, let alone just this podcast, it's general advice. It's probably the right advice for most teams. It's never going to cover every circumstance, is it? Oh, it's exactly right, mate. And we cop it online all the time, like, um, how how come you steered me into this player and then he only scored a 10 and you go, well, mate, I, I couldn't factor in the guy was going to get HIA in the first five minutes of the game. <laughs> when you've got a guy that's on a 100-point average or like we get these sorts of questions all the year and, and the armchair critics that want to give us a hard time, obviously we're making these decisions or giving this advice with people's best interests in mind. If we wanted to be jerks and, and try and steer people the wrong way, we're, we're definitely in the wrong pastime, that's for sure, mate, because I don't know any of us that are getting paid millions to do this. But, um, look, the thing I will say, mate, the, the Sharks draw. So they've got Dragons, Warriors, Roosters, Bulldogs, North Queensland, then Dolphins back into uh, Manly. So that's the next seven games. So it's not – I think that's a pretty friendly draw for the Sharks if they can get back into gear with Nico on board. And Nico is the kind of player who can score points on any team just because he's so heavily involved. So, look, if he's fighting fit, um, or if he can get to, to being fighting fit, then I think he's absolutely a playmate. And I think the quicker you can get guys like Nico into your team, as you said, I, I think you're so much better off. A bit of a left field one, I'm interested to know your thoughts. Along the same sort of lines, I started with Val, as did a lot of other people. I'm pretty keen on trying to get to Ruben Garrick as soon as possible. And even looking at a straight sideways trade this week of Val over to Garrick before Garrick's price changes. Um, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on that one, Barnsley. There's a sort of similar line to we know how well Garrick scores. We know when Turbo's fit and firing, um, most of Manly scores really well. They're, obviously, they they get, win a lot more games with Turbo than they do when he's not there. Uh, and Garrick, obviously, being the goal kicker, seems to benefit highly from that. But just that uh, right-to-left uh, sweeping backline play that they play, Garrick's on the end of the left-hand side and just seems to score a lot of points when Turbo's in. So, yeah, really interested uh, talking about these guns and, and how to move things strategically. Interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah, so I, I definitely think that one's a lot easier. Uh, and it is a, uh, I guess, that, I don't even think that's a high risk risk play as such. That is um, maybe a risky sideways move. Uh, and sometimes with those ones, you might end up missing the Vow run and getting the, the Garrick downside because he starts to get some lower scores. That can happen sometimes with these ones. I don't mind it, though, because I don't think, and this is where the, the footy stuff comes into it, and this is what we don't know round one, two, and three, right? You just, I said round one all day on that podcast for TLT round two about round one. You don't know off one round if these are going to be trends or what people look like yet. After a few games, 
you got more of an idea. And I think after a few games, it's pretty safe to say that I don't think the Cowboys look great. I think it's really good that Val has good good base. I think his base has probably been better than it was before. Uh, and things like his tackle breaks have been up and stuff, so it's good. But at the end of the day, you have to, I guess, ask yourself the question, and this is what I'd base that, base that sort of decision on. I'd base it on real footy. Do you think Manly are going to continue on and Cowboys are going to continue on based on what we've seen, the same trajectory? Because if you do, the Cowboys haven't looked very good and people will argue, well, when, when Holmes finally gets some points, he's going to look a lot better. He might not get very many points. He's never been a huge clutch attack guy anyway. So if that's too few and far between, you might be waiting for something for a while that isn't actually going to get you very far anyway. Whereas with Ruben Garrick, if you're pretty set on Manly looking like they have in the first couple of games that they've played across the first three rounds continuing on, then, you know, Ruben Garrick does look better and he does look like a better option at the moment. And I didn't think I'd be saying that at this point of the season either, but he does. He's lower ownership as well. And I don't think many people are going to be able to go over to a Ruben Garrick because there's so many other um, potential trade-ins and, and different priorities for different teams. So, I don't mind it at all. I don't mind jumping off our homes if there's a definitive option there. Um, what I will also say too is that with Garrick, the dogs and the eels didn't look that good um, at the start as far as the draw goes and with a buy in between. Very hard to start with a guy for me that's that high price when you know round two he's going to sit out. We thought the Bulldogs would be better and you know what they are now, but they weren't round one, they were awful. Uh, and then round three, Parramatta just let, let in a point scoring a thon in that game. So all of a sudden you've got the, the hard part of the draw out of the way almost after the Souths game. And then it's not so bad anymore. You've got Penrith and Melbourne in the middle of this run, but on either side of it, you've got Newcastle, Tigers and Gold Coast. I don't, I don't mind that at all. And I think it's a, it's a nice upside play for somebody who's going to be lesser owned. Yeah, look, I really like it. And it's, um, it's definitely the way that I'm heading, especially if I can downgrade someone like Liero or, uh, or one of my other forwards, I guess, that are sitting sort of just shy of 400k and and do a downgrade to someone that's, that's somewhere in the vicinity of a 300 or 250 odd, and I can I can make everything work, even the pluses and minuses of using a boost, obviously, again, this early in the season. But I think the difference between what Garrick is scoring at the moment or what I think he, he will continue to score versus what Val and the, the Cowboys are pumping out, I, I think it's a it's a good play. I also think the ability to, because I've got the cash there, because I can look at going Hines straight away as well, I think bringing Hines and Garrick in this week could make a massive big difference in my particular situation and could push me back up those uh, those 24,000 points that I've, uh, 24,000 bases or whatever that I've lost so far. So I, for me personally, I think it works really well and it's um, it's probably my strategic play for the week at the moment. Well, Ruben Garrick's 15.3% owned and, and Holmes is 39.1%. So yeah. huge advantage to do that swap as far as catching up on the masses as well. Um, but the other thing that I will say is, you know, I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, trading someone like Cleary or Teddy and these type of guys is really dangerous because if you trade them when they've only scored low, you, you're guaranteed you're going to miss out on a high score. It's just a matter, It's just a matter of how high that will be and how much it's going to burn you. Someone like Val Holmes, I wouldn't put in that category. Uh, so I, I still stand by, you know, that sort of theory on being careful when you're training guys out that are scoring low because you'll miss out on the big ones. But that's for the out-and-out out elite guns. I, I don't think Valentine Holmes is that. I, I think he's a gun. He's a good player. But he isn't like a Teddy or a Cleary that can have all these massive scores in one season. 
And he generally doesn't have a huge amount of tons in a year as well. He's only got one or two. I think the fact that he's playing centres as well. I think like the reason why I held off last week, like it was a trade. Uh, well, I, I was sort of pretty undecided what to do with Val at the end of last week, but this was the main trade that I was keeping an eye on ready for this week. I, I sort of looked at a couple of options last week and to pull the trigger, but uh, just the fact that he's he's playing centre and he's not a fullback. Um, if with Drinkwater obviously getting three weeks or four weeks, whatever it ended up being in the end, I was interested to see if uh, Chester came in and played fullback basically in uh, in defence and whether then Val moved to fullback in attack. Um, so sorry, so Val Val defending at centre and then attacking from fullback. So that's what I was interested to see. At which point Chester stayed there for the whole time in in the fullback's role. So. If it went the other way around and, and Val did spend some time there, then I would have been probably more keen to hold on to Val if that's the way things were going to progress, especially for the next three or four weeks. But the fact that he stayed in the centres is making me a little bit uh, less concerned about uh, doing the sideways trade over to Schuster because I think the upside is definitely there. Yeah, one of the good calls that I made was that I, I wasn't heaps keen on spending all that money on, on a centre wing for round one without seeing anything, so I stayed off our homes. Pretty glad I did. Um, at this point, it's okay to spend because you can kind of see where teams are going and what's happening, I think. But let's talk about Market Watch. Let's go into the next segment because Market Watch will talk about a lot of these guys anyway. Top 10 trade-ins and trade-outs at the moment. James Tedesco, we've already spoken about. Most trade-out player, and look, I've, I still feel like if I'm holding James Tedesco, I feel really good about owning him outside of this buy. What I'd probably say, Tim, I think we've already kind of said it to these 10.7% that are still trading him out. Try and keep him if you've got other options, I think is the message for me. Like he's he hasn't scored better than 60, which was last week, but you know that James Tedesco is going to average more than 55 points a game and 113 isn't as bad a break-even as what you might think, um, but obviously he's not playing this week. So if your 17 is really going to struggle like mine is, and you really need to chase, and it makes more sense this week to get rid of him. But if you can hold him, uh, I, I would rather be holding him because I think that, again, as somebody at lower ownership that can bust out a ton against that Parramatta side, uh, you'd probably rather have him if you had other options to trade out. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely, mate. He's he's one of the best players in Supercoach history. So, like, he's if you're getting rid of him, you, you've basically got to have a plan in the short term when he does turn around because it's not going to be a case of if, it's a case of when he does turn it around. How are you going to get him back? So if he's still sitting around somewhere between 650 or 750K, like you, you've got to have a pretty major plan to get him back. And it can't just be, oh, hopefully by then somebody will get injured and I'll be able to make a trade that way. Like you, you've got to have the right cash build there to have some kind of a thought of how you're getting him back or Obviously, this year we've got the buys to keep an eye on. So whether it's a case of you you wait till one of the later rounds when Latrell goes on a buy and then you you switch back to Teddy from there or something. But, yeah, but there, there definitely has to be a play involved if you're going to flick him to work out how and why you're bringing him back. So Adam Dewey's the second most sold player at the moment. 610,000, he's got a break even right at 100. I own Dewey. 39% of coaches do own Dewey. I get why people are trading him out. But in saying that, he's moving to fullback this week and I've seen mixed reviews on on that. Obviously, people aren't liking it because 7.3% are trading him out. He's playing Melbourne. That's the other argument. So I guess the arguments to trade Adam Dewey, Tim, are that 
he's got a 100-plus break even, and he's playing Melbourne this week, and the Tigers look shot. I think the arguments against that, though, are really important to consider. Uh, the first one being that Melbourne allowed the Gold Coast Titans to put 38 points on them on the weekend and have lost two weeks in a row coming. I thought that Melbourne were going to step up last week and was scared about the Melbourne Bellamy wrath. Maybe they don't have that anymore, so maybe it's not that bad for him to be playing Melbourne this week. Other thing too is, as far as the Tigers not being good, they've never been good. And, and sorry, no disrespect to Tigers fans, but Adam Dewey, while he's been a Tiger, he, he's never tasted final footy. He's tasted a wooden spoon and he was still very relevant that year. So I tend to think that he's going to probably score about the same at fullback. When you're looking at the stats, you've got to go back a few years and pretty much if you account for goal kicking because he, he wasn't goal kicking all those, if you add that in, he's at about a 63, 64 average as a fullback. Now, I think because that's a few years old for most of his games there, you're really looking at a score of around about 66 to 68, looking at inflation at fullback. So largely, I think you're probably going to get similar scores. I don't think it's going to change that much. I certainly don't think it's going to be worse off for him, though. And he still came out in round one and scored 89 points and looked fantastic. And even though they went badly against Newcastle and lost in the worst game of football ever, He's got 56 points. You know, this isn't the dire straight situation that I think coaches are making out to be that they've got to get rid of Adam Dewey. And aside from Cam Munster, who's only just named this week to come back from injury, and maybe Dylan Brown, who has a good run coming up and went well, you know, on the weekend. I'm not a fan on, on Dylan Brown. You know, it's obviously a lot more expensive, a lot more money to find from Dewey to Brown. I just think that the best value is just keeping Adam Dewey myself. So that's what I'm going to be doing. Yeah, look, I agree. Uh, I talked about this briefly on our uh, post-round uh, podcast last night for Off the Bench, and we did have a bit of a chat about this, and, and especially with looking at bringing Dylan Brown in. Look, Adam Dewey, he's, to be honest, at the moment it looks like he's he's kind of all that the Tigers have got. I mean, um, Rooks played well in stages, and obviously they came back strong the other night. Um, but, yeah, look, I don't know, like, if, if they're going to score points, they need Dewey to be on the park. They need Dewey to get his hands on the ball. They need Dewey to run the ball as often as he can and probably run first, kick second. Uh, needs to start to adopt a bit of Ezra Mam type um, football now. So I guess um, obviously they're very different players, but he needs to be thinking run the ball a little bit more. But look, if the Tigers are going to win games, Adam Dewey's going to be heavily involved. And I've got him in my 5'8 at the moment. And at this stage, I think the only reason I would sell him would be to go to Munster or go to Dylan Brown. Um, but that's not what I'm looking at doing this week. I think I'll be holding for a little while longer. Yeah, and the, I think that if they were straight swaps, it makes it a lot easier. And, you know, the 200000 to upgrade is a lot of money. And you're going to have to do a second trade to downgrade someone to be able to do that. And that's going to put you real short on either getting – a Cleary or Teddy back, depending on how you've built your team or getting a Hines in when, when you want to get him in down the track. So it's tough. I will say with Dewey, he does have a pretty tough draw coming up and it's punctuated by um, a couple of buyers because he's got the one in round seven and the one, one in round 13. So they're fairly close together. If, if there's better, if there's other options, Tim, if there's half a dozen different options to choose from, I could get around considering selling Adam Dewey. I just don't think there's clear options where you can definitely go from him at the moment. The next guy that we're going to talk about on the trade out list is Ruben Cotter. I'm not going to go through this one in too much detail because Ruben Cotter is going to be out for two or three weeks. 
a big blow. He's just lost 26 grand and he's now under 600,000 to spend. Makes sense, doesn't it, Tim? You, you just you're on you're on board that you're just going to trade Rim and Cotter if he's out two to three weeks. He just has to go, and it's an easy trade out. Yeah, look, I had him for most of the preseason, um, and then ended up finding the extra cash and, and moved things around. Got Haas and Christian Welsh, but I think if I still had Ruben Cotter, it's a bit of a no-brainer. You, if he's out for two to three weeks, or you know how that works, it could be more. You just don't know. But if he's definitely out for two to three weeks, he's he's got to be a trade out at the moment. But surely he's your one of your starting front rowers. I can't imagine there's too many with that much depth where he's uh, he's sitting as your third best front rower. So. You absolutely have to offload him and bring somebody else in. Yeah, it hasn't set the world on fire anyway, uh, so I think that makes total sense that people are trading him out. Sam Walker, number four, uh, not needed much time on this one either. I started with Sam Walker. I was really happy to. He was always going to be a trade-out at this point for me to get to someone else, and that's going to be Nico Hines via some other trades that I'm doing. So it makes total sense. Nathan Cleary, number five. Before I go into it, why don't you just tell me what you think about this one? Yeah, look, I, I don't get it. Again, it's um, it's a little bit talk like Teddy, I guess. It's uh, he's one of the greatest players ever. He's got one of the highest averages ever. Um, it's going to be really hard. Obviously, the Panthers haven't clicked yet, but they're too good a football side not to click. Um, Nathan Cleary, as much as I'm not a New South Wales fan, Nathan Cleary is too much of a, too good a footballer not to click and get his team moving around the park much better. Uh, he might lose some cash, but again, he's sitting at 840k. So you, that's a hell of a lot of money. If you sell him to somebody else, like if you sell him to Nico Hines, you, you're going to be almost putting yourself out of touch. Like I think you need to have both those players. I think you need to have Cleary. I think you need to have Nico. Um, I think only having one or the other, you're selling yourself short. The two really high ceiling players that can bang out 150 against anybody, um, and yeah, I, I just I don't get it, mate. That's um, that's just my opinion, but he's a gun that I would not be selling. The big difference as well with him and Teddy is that at, at least Teddy's got the buy this week, so you can get around it a bit more because it's someone who's really expensive that's that's not going to play this week for you. Yeah, with Cleary, he's back this week. Yeah, he's like he's playing Parramatta. And I think when you look at this draw, it goes back to what I was saying earlier in the podcast, where before the season started, you have certain thoughts about how teams are going to go and how things are going to pan out. And now that we know that a lot of that's wrong <laughs> for, for most teams, you look at it and go, well, actually, the draw's pretty good for a Cleary comeback here. He's playing a Parramatta side and then a Manly side two weeks later that just played. And the defence was abysmal from both of them. Like the amount of times it was ball watching and just holes everywhere. You saw Clint Gutherson carve up because he was getting ball watched for 20 or 30 metres and then just running through, surprised that he even got a couple of tries himself. Like that was against the Sea Eagles, who he's playing in three weeks. And for Parramatta, they lost the game because they were in a shootout trying to score the most points with no defence. It just both of those sides, even though they're good in Parramatta and Manly, have shown that they can give up quite a few points. The Canberra Raiders are in between that. Obviously, they're one and two on their record. They're not giving up huge points, but they could. Um, and then you've got Newcastle in round seven, followed by South, followed by the Tigers, followed by the Warriors to round out their first 10 games. There's a lot of golden games in there as far as teams like Newcastle and the Tigers. And there's games in there that you would have thought were harder, like 
the Eels and, and the Seagulls, who are actually still giving up a lot of points, despite maybe the Seagulls actually winning games. So to me, when I look at that, I'd be very scared not to have Cleary. And as soon as this week, because the other thing that you have to factor in if you're selling him, look at your VC and C options this week. Because when we get to the games in a minute, when we talk about the, the first game on the Thursday night, the very first one of the round, I'm going to be saying, well, my VC for this one is Nathan Cleary because he can put 100-plus on the Eels and it's a good matchup and he plays the first game. He's positioned as a good VC or C for a lot of these weeks that are coming up and that's really important to consider. Yeah, I absolutely agree, mate. Uh, if you can get Nathan Cleary on a Thursday night, it's a very easy VC and that can possibly set you up for the entire weekend. And then, obviously, at this time of the season, that can set you up for the season. So, look, I, um, I've i got the draw on my screen here and and it's, I don't know, I don't get it, mate. I, I just don't. I understand the Teddy trade. I don't understand the Cleary trade. The Raiders, I don't think they're going to be the team that they were even last season, um, despite the easy draw that the Raiders seem to get every year. Para have started abysmally um, in comparison to what they're used to. Manly could be... Anything, it, it'll just be a point score-a-thon, I think. Um, Newcastle have just knocked out one of the worst games of football of all time. Uh, the Bunnies are obviously always competitive. The Tigers still look a shambles. And, and the Warriors, although they're on the improve, I could see a team like the Panthers putting them to the sword. So I don't know why the hell you would be enticing the idea of, of dropping Nathan Cleary. No, 161 break-even. Don't even worry about it. Just hold him. Ignore it. It's, it's irrelevant. William Warbrick. I thought that he was going to go a lot better, but obviously a lot of his downfall is due to the Storm's downfall. He's a winger that's not getting tries because they're losing games, and we didn't really expect this from Melbourne. He's the sixth most traded out player. So this is a completely different scenario than everybody else that we've talked about. He's got to break him in a 16. That's not that high, but he only scored 16 points on the weekend. So <laughs> actually downdated to 14. Jeez. Didn't yeah. even I miss that two-point down date. Uh, on the Monday. First two weeks, I, I think the people were relatively happy. It was 30 and 36, and that included 30 and 26 in raw base. And he looked like he was going to probably get a try in round three, and it didn't happen. So 14 points. I am always of the mindset with these trades, Tim, that it's not worth trading out a bottom dollar rookie unless there's someone that you really, really missed that's now got a big negative break even that you absolutely have to get in, and there's no other way. That's where Warbrick out makes sense. But there's going to be a lot of these traders that I don't think are in that situation. And they probably need to look no further than Khan Pereira, the guy that scored a double on the wing for the Titans on the weekend against the Storm. He scored a five in round one and he just scored a 65. And now he's got a negative break even. He's going to make money. You know, that's that's what happens with these rookie wingers. So when they're at 200K base price, it's better just to leave them in your team unless you absolutely have to get onto someone that's a must-have. So... That's where I'm at with Warbrick. Disappointing on the weekend. That 14 is going to hurt him for a couple of weeks. But good thing about base price, Tim. Can't drop any money. No, that's exactly right, Barnsley. It's um, Again, it's another bit of a crazy trade. I, I did toss up with it. Only if you were going to someone like a Sloan, I could see the purpose in it. Um, Sloan's obviously in the, in the vicinity of, of making probably more money than Warbrick at the moment, the way that he's starting. And Sloan's obviously getting heavily involved He's only an extra, uh, what is he, 60K now than what Warbrick is. So, oh, sorry, he's, he's only 270, 217 now, not 230. Um, so, yeah, look, it's um, he's 85-odd K and like something like that I could kind of understand. But 
the hard part is, mate, I'm, I'm a, I started with Warbrick and played him on the weekend because I thought he was going to do really well against the Titans. I listened to the game in the car because I was actually playing my own football um, soccer, that is, on, on Sunday night. So I listened to the game in the car on the way to my game. And the interesting thing was like, it was a 45-minute drive and I heard Warbrick's name mentioned once in 45 minutes. So that was sort of the hard thing. He's obviously not a high work rate um, winger. So it's the hard part with the Storm, and it's always been the hard part with the Storm, with Vunavalu, with Adokar, and everyone that's come before them. They can knock out 100 one week and then go missing for the next few weeks because the Storm just don't go their side or, or they just don't like those sorts of wingers that get heavily involved. So it, it is a bit of an interesting one. Look, I'll be holding on to him because, like we said, all he's got to do is bang out a 20 or 25, 30, something like that, and he goes to a negative break even again next week. So, look, he's only going to keep improving. Um, I think the, the longer that he's in that storm side, not only that, Munster's back, um, and so at which point the storm team is only going to get better. Yeah, I, I'd be trying to hold um, if you can trade other people. It's only a must-own cheapy negative break even if you're going to trade someone like Warbrick because you know the supercoach gods do not smile upon you very often he will probably get a double this week against the Tigers so <laughs> you could just see it happening Christian Welsh totally understand I want to rage trading myself after 25 points on the weekend and 51 the week before the 67 from Real Mine is a distant memory now out of his rolling average certainly if you can get to someone like a Payne Haas or something it makes total sense uh, so we'll skip over that one but the other ones that we'll skip over as well here. Caleb Ponga makes sense. Tanner Boyd, Boyd makes complete sense. He has not played well whatsoever. Joseph Suali is on the bye, so certainly if you started with him, that makes sense as well. And so I think the, the back end of this, you know, the seventh to tenth most traded out players make total sense. And I think that we should probably see this often. And if we don't, it's certainly a strategy that teams should employ where not just if you've got guys that are injured or not playing well, but, you know, Joseph Suali is a good example. When you've got centre wings that are on a buy that are holding up heaps of money, it's probably a good good time to be trading a lot of those players. So, you know, Suali, it's a good strategy to be looking at. If they've not got a great buy afterwards, you should be looking towards the buyers of these centre wings that are sort of four or 500K plus and looking at getting rid of those on the buy periods and rotating them around if you can with the trades available. Yeah, absolutely agree, mate. Keep an eye on break-evens and um, and see where you can make cash for the guys that have come that are on the buy and for to guys who, preferably if you can, guys who just come off it. Traded ins. Reese Walsh, 554,000, coming off 95 points against the Dragons and 105 points against the Cowboys, has not had his cash rise yet. And this is the big deal with Walsh. Everyone's jumping on now because he's playing the Dolphins and it's going to be a big game. He's minus 32 break even. He's in 12% of teams, so not quite potish, but fairly low owned. He's averaging 100 points in the year. That's all the good stuff. I understand people jumping on and I made the comment several times today on social media. I would not talk anybody out of getting Reese Walsh. I would not be trading people like Nathan Cleary um, or, or even James Tedesco, unless you had to do that second move with the money really badly to get someone like Reese Walsh. And I think that it's a fine trade if your expectations are in check. What should your expectations be, Barnes? He's just averaging 100 points. He's tearing up everyone. His attack is phenomenal. Well, you should have a look at some of the you know cons about getting him in. He was on zero points at halftime last game. 
he could have very easily gone through and scored a 15. He's got those sort of scores in him. You are going to get them. 22 raw base shows you that. And his 37 base base attack isn't actually that good. Now, at the same time, too, the negative break even comes up. Well, you know what? At 555,000, he scores a 15 or 20. And that minus 32 break even is going to get eaten up very, very quickly in a week or two, where all of a sudden his break even is quite high. And this is where the price matters a lot. And I spoke about it last week on why I valued the hammer trade in so much. At 330K, you can generate cash a lot longer than if you're 500K. It's just simple maths. He's 555K, Reese Walsh. He might not have a negative break even for very long at all. It may only be for this week, depending on how it goes. And he's got those low scores in him. Now, am I really against the trade in, Tim? No, not at all. He, he could keep going on. The Dolphins might be really good opposition for him. They might be susceptible. They could put on a lot of points. Uh, at the same time, the Tigers a week after could be great too. And then he's got the Raiders at home and, and the Titans away, which really isn't an away game. The Broncos have got a great draw. Reese Walsh might be the beneficiary. He could come out of it in a month and still be averaging 85 points. He could also come out of it in a month and be averaging 65 points, which is propped up by his last two scores of 105 and 95. Both are equally likely. I think if you're prepared for that and you're prepared for potential low scores, you're prepared to not make a lot of money out of it possibly, then it's fine. But I guess it's all about expectations, Tim, and and we just can't tell how the next month of footy is going to unfold for him because he's a guy that was on zero at halftime last week. Yeah, I think yeah, it's um, like I'm a Broncos member and was at the home game uh, the other night. So, look, he's – I think if the Broncos score points, I think Reese Walsh is involved. And I guess that's the way that people are looking at things. Um, obviously, Adam Reynolds does a lot of the kicking to, to set up scoring opportunities. But you've got Ezra Mam as well who likes to run the ball first and, and kick second. So – Ezra likes to get his hands on the ball and take it himself as well. So especially playing out that left-hand side where, where Walsh does like to come across, I understand people jumping on him. I did talk about the possibility the other night, flagging it myself, of maybe going Latrell down to Reese and then that way banking some cash to bring Nico in. But now looking at it, I, I think I'm probably more inclined to hold Latrell and, and keep the money and probably, if, I mean, if, if Reese Walsh bangs out another 100 or, or a solid, really solid score again this week, it's obviously an option for me next week, um, but look at the moment. I I can't see the people that are bringing in Reese Walsh unless they are doing a massive downgrade to get cash to bring in um, Nico Hines. I, I just I don't quite see it. Schuster, second most popular player at the moment. Obviously, dual five eight second row forward is super handy. Uh, I think that we saw a lot of good and a lot of bad on the weekend. Although I think the media and a lot of fans only saw the good. 59 points in 76 minutes. Uh, it's a good score. 241,000, it's really easy to get him in. The bad, the cons in this, and there are some, uh, which I think the people are actually missing out on when they're having a look at getting him in the side. And by the way, like a lot of teams are going to be doing it for a downgrade option that they need. If you don't have another one, totally get it. But minus nine break even isn't that big. And it's also not that relevant when he's only played one game. And that's the biggest issue. He's not going to get a price rise this week. So you can have a second look at him and there's not going to be any price difference and you can also do do that downgrade the week after. What's the advantage in doing that? Well, he didn't look particularly fit still. (laughs) He saw him look like he he tore his calf muscle when he just kicked the ball and ended up maybe being a cramp. Sure, he doesn't look that fit. 
He doesn't look that spry. And when that happens, those sort of muscle pulls and things can happen. You'd hate to trade him in when he's not going to change your money at all. And then cop a 20-minute pulled hamstring or something and him out for four weeks. There's just no need to trade him in at the moment unless you have to have that downgrade money. There's no other options for me. So the other cons that we saw too, two tries, he's in that 59 points. So, I mean, you know, one of them was spectacular and it was just off the cuff park footy that I love with that kick over the top and everything. Great attacking footy from him a, a number of times. I love that. Raw base of nine. So if you want to know where your, where your floor is, it's nine points with Josh Schuster. Uh, that's, it's a concern. Uh, they do have Penrith after. So they do have South this week. That's not an easy game. Uh, they have an easier one against Newcastle. And then they do have Penrith and the Storm. It's very feasible that he's not going to actually make that much money over the next few weeks. That could very well happen. It's also feasible as well that, you know, he doesn't have his match fitness and stuff and they end up even getting KO weeks in on, on for him. That could happen. They've done it with Turbo, but maybe the idea is that any guys that maybe don't have peak fitness, they'll sub out. Maybe he plays a 60-minute game. After one game, we don't really know a lot of this stuff, Tim. So whilst I'm all about, you know, he he's a good option, we're probably going to want him at some point very soon. There's a lot of reasons to wait for me. So unless you've got a downgrade and there's no one else to downgrade to to free up cash for your other trade that you got to do, then for me, I'm definitely waiting on Schuster. Yeah, look, I'm I'm going in this week only as that downgrade option. Um, I've had Egan Butcher and I've played him both weeks and been extremely disappointed. Um, I mean, he's banged out close to fifty each week, but look, he's not he's not what I was hoping for. Um, and at which point, even if um, I think if uh, if Schuster gets any attacking stats, I think he's going to be forty or thereabouts. So look, there's not really that much of a downside in that particular situation for me going butcher down to Schuster. Um, but yeah, look, it's uh, when I can bank two hundred k and and use that money to to bring in a gun, then um, then I think it's the right play for me in particular. Peyton Hart's number three, and oh, I think that he is you know in the preseason he was my starting front row forward almost the whole preseason. I'm super annoyed that we got all these other options that popped up because it made me change and free up the money to go elsewhere. Ninety two points on the weekend. He's now got ninety two sixty five and seventy nine. Played 59 minutes on the weekend, which was a bit down, but he's still averaging 63 minutes for the year, which is what you want to see. 55 raw base, 70 base base attack. And in the preseason, this is one of the things we spoke about, Tim, with Haas and why we liked him so much. He had real potential to go back a couple of years and pile up more base and base attack than what he was priced at because a couple of years ago he was doing this uh, and we're seeing it happen again. So... I think that he can keep it up. Um, 79 points a game, maybe, maybe not. Uh, but he did do 78 points a game in 2019 and 75 in 2020. I pegged him for 70s. I think he's going to be 70s. I think he's going to be one of the best front row forwards that you can have. I'd love to trade him in this week. So I think he's a fantastic trade-in for me. And he also, aside from origin duty, the Broncos don't actually have a buy until around 16 too. So that's pretty handy as well. So he looks like, I think, out of the guys that we've spoken about so far, he's my favourite trade-in at the moment. Yeah, look, I actually agree. Um, I started with Payne Haas and Paddy Carrigan uh, and been really happy that that I did actually do that. I mean, we we talked about Payne and, and how my uh, captaincy loophole and stuff didn't work, but that's why I had the captaincy on Payne Haas to begin with. It was a bit of a pod captain play, uh, and I was pretty happy to bank that he's 75-plus. I think at the moment there's too many other captain plays 
where they do, well, I mean, some people have seen it already, that, that they're hitting 50s and, and not those 80 to 90 plus that you want. So whereas I think Payne Haas, I think a bad game for him at the moment is going to be 70 or thereabouts. So I think the upside is there for him um, if you're trying to bank some points. Dolphins and Tigers packs the next fortnight look pretty good for him. And with his break even at minus, at, um, at 30, he's going to end up going up cash where he's going to be over 700K to, to buy afterwards. So at the moment, I think it's probably going to be the best value you can get on him for a while. The other thing I will say is being at the game and, and watching how they use him on the weekend, I think especially while it's hot, I think the fact that they sat him down for 20 minutes and gave him a rest and they waited until that last 15 minutes where he could go absolutely berserk on tired forwards um, I think they held their, their last couple of interchanges off for as long as they possibly could and just sat there and watched the other team go out there and, and use up the juice. Look, I I can see that Kevy's going to continue with this play, whether that be with Payne Haas or whether that be uh, leaving Carrigan off for a little while longer and bringing him on in a similar thing for the last 15 minutes and, and let him go nuts. Um, so, look, I, I can see that continuing, especially while it's nice and warm, um, and at which point... I think Payne especially could just absolutely reap in the points for the, the next few weeks in that last 15 minutes of each game while other opposing forwards are, are basically buggered. You could see, like, they just had nothing. Like, it's, as soon as he started to get on a roll, um, he, the offload came out and, and was he was almost running like a 5-8 uh, like a, a or halfback. Went. It's, um, he was just setting up the plays himself. Yeah, I think he looks better than what he did last year, and that's the key. Absolutely. That's what you wanted to see. Uh, and it was also a question mark coming in around one, and I think it's been answered. Nico Hines is the fourth most traded player. 5.6% of owners now, uh, but he's still sub-6% ownership. So that's it's a really good spot to be in. We've already spoken about him a lot, Tim, so I'm just going to throw out another scenario on why I think it's a good time. He's got the Dragons and the Warriors the next two weeks. Now, he, he's got 185 points against the Warriors last year in a game at Points Bet Stadium. And even though the Dragons is away, it's down the road away, just at um, Congress. So, and with his injury, and this is the key for me, I've heard people say, I want to hold off because he's been hurt. He doesn't have match fitness. Nico Hines is always fit, number one. He's not a, he's not a big front row forward that needs to lose a few kilos or get match fitness. He's always fit. And the type of game he has, I know it's a calf injury, but his game is so good because he's so ball dominant. Everything goes through him. So to me... It doesn't really matter if his speed's not quite there and, and or whatever. It will be anyway, I think. But even so, he's just going to get it through his his playmaking and just through his sheer possession and the plays that he's making with the ball in hand. I don't think it's going to be affected. And the biggest thing is that I'll finish on with him. I don't think you can trade him in next week because then you've got the Warriors and then you've got to buy. And then you've got the Roosters after the buy too, by the way. At the moment, you've got the Dragons and the Warriors before the buy. So at least you get getting two games value. You want to wait? Well, you're trading him in when he's versus the Roosters. It's not the best. Um, then he does have a pretty good run, though. So you're going to want him for that. Are you going to be in a position to do that at that point where he's got the dogs in round eight, the Cowboys at, at Shark Park, the Dolphins at Shark Park, Manly away at Newcastle at Shark Park? You know, that's that's a really good run before that round 13 buy that the Sharks have. And I can see a lot of teams waiting and then getting other priorities in four or five weeks and going, oh, well, he's got to buy in a few weeks. I'm not going to get on him. And all of a sudden, you miss out on half a season of the guy that led Supercoach last year with 86 points per game. To me, it's it's either now or you're waiting till after the buy. And waiting after the buy, you know, that's that's got its own risks. 
I think even then, you like if he comes back all guns blazing like we expect him to, all of a sudden you're getting close to origin period as well. Once you you look at him, uh, the buy in round eight, and and then you start getting into that rep season before too much longer. At which point, like, do you make it make a couple of trades to to get him in? After the buy, and then all of a sudden, he, he he may possibly go into Origin camp. Like, I struggle to think that they're not going to try and find a place for him in the New South Wales Origin team. So, look, I, like you were saying, mate, I think it's almost a case of now or never, um, or, or now or wait eight weeks or, or ten weeks or whatever. I think with these two games coming up, I think it really is a case of now or never. Yeah, and if you're one of those teams that are saying, look, I, I don't want to pay 900, I want him to be 800 yeah. or something, you might be waiting until round 10 because he hasn't played yet and he's got to buy in round six. You know, it's going to be after round seven that he has his first price drop, if you're hoping for that. And then after round eight, potentially he's going to be at, maybe at that price point for you. And then you're going to have him for what? Yeah. You know, a couple of games and then a buy. And then they have three games from round 14 to 16 and then a buy again. So that middle period of the season, the Sharks are real decimated with the buy periods that they've got. So it just becomes really difficult. Um, so that's why I'm I'm all aboard owning him now, and that's a big part of it. Tom Trevojevic, fifth most traded in. Don't need to talk about him because that's a given. Jacob Preston, number six. Um, I'm not surprised at this at all, and I am doing the same thing. So I said on last week's podcast, was hoping he wasn't going to score 69 points, but, you know, these things happen. That you know, I'm happy to pay sort of 60k more or whatever than his base price because I was going to make a bit of money off my other guy that I was going to trade out at the time, and I um, had some other priorities that I needed to get in, and one of them was Harry Grant, who I wanted to captain. At the moment, he's still got a, a break even in the minus 60s, so he's just going to keep making money. So if you're playing Supercoach for the first time, Tim, I think a lot of people will say, "Well, he just went up 100 grand. He's over 300,000." I can't buy Preston now. I think 100% you can. He's probably going to peak at over 500,000. There's still at least 200,000 to be made, and he's still got one of the best break-evens that you can get this week. So by all means, Tim, we, we should all be jumping on him if we don't have him. Yeah, absolutely, mate. I, he was one of the ones that I did bring in last week and um, just factored in. If, if he scored 50-plus, he was going to be somewhere in the vicinity of about 100K that he was going to go up. So um, the three trades that I actually made last week, I did really well with and, and actually made the best part of 300K out of the three trades that I made. So I uh, was pretty happy with that and to take the the points hit and uh, but still bank the cash. Harry Grant, 3.8% trading him in. Uh, look, he's playing the West Tigers this week. I reckon he's going to get up for this one. It's a team that he got loaned to for a year, which sounds crazy thinking about it now in hindsight, but... He he looks primed for a massive one this week and is another big captaincy option. So I certainly think that he's a um, a really good trade in this week. Probably don't need to talk about him too much. Do need to talk about Adam Reynolds, though, because we haven't spoken about him much on the podcast because he's always sort of middling, not quite super coach relevant, but not a bad trade-in. Broncos have a big draw. People are saying, look, I don't like Reese Walsh. Maybe Adam Reynolds. He's just got 104 points against the Dragons on the weekend. And he's averaging 72 across his first three games with nothing below 50. Very, very good start to the season for Adam Reynolds. 657,000. Not bad. Dolphins and Tigers the next two weeks. We spoke about the good draw the Broncos have. Barely leaving the sunny state of Queensland over the next couple of months of football. I see him as a good trade and a really good pot option if he's not halfback. <laughs> That's, it's just such a tough thing, isn't it? Because I just don't want to go off 
trying to have a Cleary Hines combo. And at the moment, Hines is still going to be lower ownership than Adam Reynolds. So I, I just find it really hard to get behind getting Adam Reynolds in at this point. Uh, I think that if he was a 5'8 or a centre or anything else, I'd be 100% looking at him and he'd be a fantastic buy this week. Being halfback, I just think there's a log jam there. I still, despite the good 104 points on the weekend, can't quite get around him. Yeah, look, he's not he's not the kind of player that's going to turn up every week. Um, but at the same time, he's not the kind of halfback that's going to give you 25s uh, unless he's injured. That's obviously. Um, but look, he's Adam Reynolds is a sort of 65 to 85 kind of point player. As, as that's how I see him anyway. Um, I, he's obviously a very different. Uh, halves pairing to uh, Ezra Mam, and then obviously, like you just said before, maybe some people are looking at going him instead of Reese Walsh to try and get some of those points from the Broncos. The interesting thing with Reynolds is the the four late tries that the Broncos scored last weekend. They all sort of started with Payne Haas, like we said, he, he made those points really quickly in those last few minutes. Reynolds was already doing really well before Broncos put those points through later on, so. Look, he he probably got the points before they hit their straps. Um, so whether or not people are factoring that in, that even uh, before the Broncos were scoring high points last week, that Adam Reynolds was scoring pretty well out of that. So, yeah, look, I, I understand it. Um, but like you said, if you if he was 5'8", or if he was dual, you'd be probably all over it. But the fact that he's halfback, if you're going Cleary and Bynes, uh, it's probably not quite the pod play. Doesn't have the same ceiling the other two do. No, um, but you know it's a good play. Normally, I just think that at halfback, it's it's a bit too hard to do for this week. Tyrell Sloan, I really wanted to start with him because of all the cheapies we've got. I ended up not doing it. He's now got a minus forties break even, two hundred ninety eight thousand. Obviously, playing fullback that you can put in your centre wing. His base is still low, which we expect at twenty, but his base base attack is actually across his first two games forty three. That's very good. He has scored a try his first two weeks for his 78 and 53. That's what you expect with him, though. And after the Sharks this week, who's at home for them at least, he then plays the Dolphins at home at win and then the Gold Coast Titans. So not a bad few weeks. And just quietly, even after that Gold Coast Titans game, they've got the Raiders, the Roosters, the Bulldogs, the Tigers to round out their first 10. And they actually don't have a bottle round 16. So this is why I was keen on starting with um, any sort of cheapies or mids that the Dragons had that I thought would be good, like a Tyrell Sloan, because they had a really good draw and they got the buy out of the way straight away and you're not going to play all these guys round one anyway. So I, I really am annoyed that I didn't stick with some of these guys as a buy. I think people are staying off him, Tim, actually. Um, he's still in the top 10 most trade, but I think people are staying off him because they're scared about you know his low base and all that other stuff and the, the Dragons not being very good. Put a lot of points on your Broncos on the weekend, mate. I, I actually thought they were going to win that game, and he's, he is scoring. So I think it's just one of those things where you've got to look at it and say he's got a big negative break even. Um, he's playing fullback. He's getting attacking stats, and he's got a decent draw. It makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah, look, I absolutely agree. It's um, Even just doing the number crunches for me personally, I need to find about 20K to turn um, Trindle into Nico Hines, and I could do something simple like... Um, uh, I've got the bloody bunny center who hasn't fired at, at 230 odd K or whatever he is. Um, so, uh, sorry, 330 K. So just to find that 20 K, I could go from, uh, from him down to 
Sloan, and I know it's a very sideways trade, but I think at the moment, just looking at how well Sloan's been playing and how much he's trying to get involved, uh, obviously everything didn't go to plan against the Broncos the other night, but Sloan really did seem to try to get involved. Um, and I think he's probably a much better play than, um, yeah, than my bunny centre at the moment. Let's move along to the end of the podcast, the round four previews. And this is a machine gun preview where we're going to quickly go through each game and look at a couple of noticeable points and also the VCC options that might be available in them. The Thursday night game, we've got the Parramatta Eels versus the Penrith Panthers. And big one is that Ryan Madison's back. He's going to be on my watch list. He's starting on an edge. Bryce Cartwright retaining his spot, which is a big deal. And Jermaine Hopgood retaining his spot at 13 with Madison back. So... Maddo's going to be used on an edge, which is good for all owners aside from Matt Dory owners because he's been dropped to the bench. <laughs> that uh, absolutely kills Dory. But, you know, with that change, Dory becomes a, a sell as soon as his negative break-even's gone. On the other side of things with the Panthers, obviously they're coming fresh off their buy. Uh, there isn't any real notable changes there. But when we're talking about notable players in this one, you know, I said Ryan Madison to watch for me. The Eels themselves are 0-3 at the moment, but they do have a big run coming up. I'm actually looking ahead for two weeks' time, Tim, where I actually think that uh, the run's going to be pretty good. It's, it's interesting. I can see Parra with Maddo coming back maybe being that missing link that they've been holding out for at the moment. Um, I, I think Parra as a whole have been pretty average, uh, although they, they just they see sort of... Glimpses of brilliance or glimpses of playing better and getting back into gear, and uh, and then all of a sudden they just start to make a few mistakes. Um, I think with Matto back, that's probably going to help. He's more of a ball playing sort of second rower. Um, obviously, he's, he's a bit of a general in the team as well, so I think he's there for for leadership. The thing you've always got to worry about with Matto is that head knock. They seem to be being a lot more cautious now more than ever with regards to HIAs. I have my concerns that Maddo's just another player that's one decent head knock away from sitting out for two or three months, um, which would be an absolute shame. And you certainly don't wish that sort of injury on anybody, but that would be my biggest concern for him. If he comes back in, gets a knock, where does that put the eels? Obviously, Matt Dory's been playing okay, um, so they would just slot him back into the same spot that he was playing in. Uh, but I think the Eels will be better with Matto back and uh, and firing. But, yeah, it's um, it's a bit of a scary prospect if he does uh, does happen to go down. Yeah, and in the sit-start with this, I'm definitely going to be sitting Bryce Cartwright. I've been playing him and I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, but certainly, Jermaine Hockwood came back down from his massive form last week with a 45 after almost 9% of people captained him. So it was pretty big. I'm still going to keep playing him. This is his old club, the Penrith Panthers, so certainly don't be put off by that. But I already mentioned and showed my hand in this game, I, I think that the VC on Nathan Cleary is on with this one. Nathan Cleary in this one is coming off fresh on a buy, off a buy. Um, they are playing at Combank Stadium, but even still, if it was last week's game, Nathan Cleary would carve up this week and he would ton. I'm taking solace in that when I'm looking at it and I'm putting the VC on him. I, I can't see it moving being a Thursday night game, so that's my pick for this one. Yeah, look, I absolutely agree, mate, and I'll be doing exactly the same thing. Uh, I think the way that Parra's been playing, I think Penrith, if uh, them being nice and fresh, I mean, obviously it's only the, the early part of the season, so you'd like to think they're fresh anyway. But any guys who picked up niggles or anything like that in the, the first couple of rounds, um, 
I think obviously they've had the break for a week and, and able to rest, uh, rest. But I think all the things that maybe the clunkiness that Panthers have had, I've got no doubt that they would have had some in-house games um, over the last week or a week and a half. And um, and I think Panthers will be moving back up the, the food chain very, very quickly. Storm at Amy Park versus the Tigers. Uh, I think you know, all the Storm guys are very interesting. I've got Nick Meany who tunned last week. Can't wait to play him. He might be a sneaky VC if I'm going to go for a massive pod VC in this one because he could get to that 110-120 range in a game goal kicking against the Tigers at Amy Park. So that's my sneaky pick for a VC. But obviously Cameron Munster's back in the team and Harry Grant is still in the team who scored 105 last week. So one of the things that I looked at in this game is that if Cleary doesn't fire, uh, Harry Grant's VC in this one. Uh, how did you sort of see this one for the VCC? Yeah, look, I, uh, Harry Grant's probably at this stage going to be one of my options as captain, I think, uh, after Cleary VC. So, yeah, look, I, I can see a really big game from the Storm here. Mind you, we've been saying that for three weeks, but I think um, with Munster back, this could just be where they click and I think they could really put the Tigers to the sword. Yeah, not uh, not too much data on this, but Harry Grant's only played one game against the West Tigers. Worst max score out of any of the 16 opposition clubs uh, with a 59. So only one score, though, so not much to take away from that. But I always like to look at their scores against the opposition and their maxes that they've gone. Uh, in the sit-start scenario, I'm obviously going to want to play all the Storm guys, although someone like Warbrick and these cheapies, it's hard. Um, I'm, I'm probably going to sit Warbrick, but, look, I tell you what, I reckon he's going to do a current per hour and he's going to score a double this week. It just seems to happen in Supercoach after someone's heavily sold. But it also makes sense. Played at Amy Park. The bounce back that should have happened last week, maybe it's this week. And if it is, against his Tigers outfit, Wilbrick can easily get some clutch attacks. So he still looks like a decent option to consider, even though he scored so badly last week. A bit of a question. I know we, we talked before briefly about Val Holmes over to Garrick. Um, I've actually been pretty impressed with Meany. I couldn't make it work at the start of the season because I, I went heavier in other directions. Um, but I was pretty keen for a while with matching um, going Val and Nick Meany. Just couldn't quite make it work. Do you think someone in my situation, I Val's highly owned, almost 40%, would going Val across to Meany in the current situation and we think Storm will be on the rise, they don't have a buy till 13, I think, off the top of my head? No, they got the buy in round nine. And that's why I think, yeah, it doesn't work really. Yeah. Um, I think that's why I think it was really good to start with Meany. It's hard to get him in now because he's got... Four to four to eight, he's playing, and in that he still has Souths and the Roosters back to back, and then after those two, Manly, who could be harder harder way, and we also seen the Storm not play as well as what they have. We, we missed out on the the Titans and the Dogs the last couple of weeks. The Dogs he only scored the thirty eight, but the Titans he scored the one hundred three, and that was his big one. So I just think it's a bit hard to jump on him at the moment with that round nine buy coming up, and then they got the round thirteen buy on top. So he's just not gonna not gonna provide the value you need getting him now, but. Sit start, Adam Dewey. Uh, obviously, a lot of people are training him. People were talking about benching him last week. And, you know, it sounds crazy, but it actually would have been a good move. I wouldn't think about it this week. I, I think that with your strike plays like that, you kind of need to play him. And if you get a 26, you cop a 26. It is a storm. It is playing him away at Amy Park, which is hard. But at the same time, you know, again, I keep referencing last week and the, and the, the Titans putting on 38 against them and the storm not being the same. There's still points to be had there, and Adam Dewey at fullback could be really interesting. So I just don't think any of our 17s are strong enough at the moment where 
you know, you can maybe fluke that and you maybe get lucky with that, but I don't think it's going to be a good move, you know, seven times out of ten. Yeah, no, I, I agree, mate. Unless uh, you're in a situation where you're trading out Dewey to um, Dylan Brown or someone like that. I um, I mean, I've got Isaac Katoa as um, as my backup 5'8", so for me personally, Dewey will be played this week. Not only that, I think when Dewey went to fullback last week and they brought Brennan Wakeham on, I, by all accounts, the Tigers certainly did seem to click a lot better. Um, so I can see that being the play for them going forward unless something crazy happens this weekend. But they did score a lot of points late on in the game, so it, it does seem like a more attacking play for them, and at which point I think Dewey should benefit from it. It'd be interesting if he's playing fullback how much he's going to be able to get involved in the attack on both sides of the field, mm. and that could open up for him as well, even against the Storm. The Dolphins and the Broncos... This one, I think a lot of people will be looking at going, oh, geez, the Broncos could put a lot of points on. It's that local grudge match, like we said, the rivalry that hasn't started yet. So I don't know how it's a rivalry, but anyway, uh, it's it could be really tight. And that's probably going to be the worry for me. I think you're obviously going to play all your Broncos, um, but guys like Hammer and Asako that are fairly heavily owned, I think these types people are going to be worried about. I'm certainly not going to play Katoa in this one because he's under an injury cloud anyway. But, you know, do you think there's going to be enough points to throw on guys like the Hammer and Asako? Or do you think that, no, the Broncos are going to get over them and you need to get those Dolphins out? Or even just it's going to be a tight game, 16-18, and you're going to play your big guns from the Broncos, but those lesser guys from the Dolphins, you know, you need to bench them. It's an interesting call because I think uh, the Hammer's been pretty heavily involved. Uh, going against the grain of what we're all saying in the preseason, we thought that coming from the Cowboys and even off the bench, he, like he wasn't good enough to play in that fullback role and it was sort of his to lose. Um, and then they moved things around and put Drinky there. So after that, he went to sort of bit part centre, bit part fullback, just filling in a, a little bit of everything. So look... At the Dolphins, he's obviously hit the ground running and, and playing really well. I think he's heavily involved, and I think if they're to score points, they need to keep him involved. You can't beat pure speed, and he's certainly got that in spades. So, look, if uh, if the Dolphins are going to score points, I can see the Hammer being involved in the plays and getting some of those stats. Uh, not convinced necessarily with Osako. He obviously does really well with, with kicking. Um so, yeah, look, I can't see the Dolphins putting on a cricket score here. I think it's more likely the Broncos rather than the Dolphins. Uh, I think the Dolphins are really going to miss Felice Cafusi missing for that four weeks. Um, so at which point I'm tipping my team, the Broncos, of course, but I could see this going like like the Cowboys-Broncos games have gone forever. Uh, I think especially, to be honest, it's going to be at Suncorp Stadium, which is obviously always traditionally the Broncos' home. But I can see a lot of people turning up to support the Dolphins just to basically stick it to the Broncos. Um, and it's a Dolphins home game, so obviously the Broncos members don't get seats uh, like myself. So, yeah, look, oh, I wouldn't say I could smell an upset, but it wouldn't surprise me if this does go to sort of under under eight points or something like that. Um, eight, I, could, I could see it go down to the wire a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even still, the pod VC option, Late enough in the round, early enough in the round, it still could be looking at someone like Reese Walsh. I do think that he's an option, um, but I, like I prefer the more fancy ones like Cleary and so forth. But if you need to go for a a pod VC, you know he, he could be the ticket. One thing that I will say about Reese Walsh, though, 
is that he's barely scored any tons in his supercoach career. Uh, he's just almost scored them back-to-back, though, sure, but they are also scores that you wouldn't be able to loop. So it's almost one where you have to go balls to the wall and put the C on him or just leave him alone. And that's a pretty scary proposition. So it seems unlikely he can go 120-plus too much considering he's never done it in his career. So just food for thought there if you are looking at a pod VC option. On the Saturday, the Cowboys take on the Titans in the 5.30 game. Look, with this one, we've got pretty much no Supercoach relevant changes for either side. Looking back to round one, I think people with the Cowboys, Tim, penciled in this one as one that you're going to VC or, or even do some sneaky Cs on the Cowboys side. Can't do it with a Valentine Holmes. Uh, obviously, Drinkwater is out of this one. I don't think you can do it with anyone because the Cowboys just looked that bad last week in losing to the Warriors that you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone that you'd be comfortably even wasting a VC on this round. So this is a bit of a nothing game for me when you're talking about the sit and start. You're going to you're gonna start everybody aside from maybe Khan Pereira if your heart can't handle it. But you're also not going to VC or see anyone in this one for me. So I'm going to call it a bit of a, a non-supercoach event as far as that goes. Yeah, look, it's an interesting one, and, and I, I absolutely agree. It's um, With regards to sit or, or play, when you're looking at uh, Warbrick against the Tigers, Hammer against the Broncos, or um, Cam Pereira against the Cowboys, like, who do you play, who do you sit out of those three, considering every man and his dog's got them? Mm, it, it's such a tough call. It's so tough. We're just going to move on to the next game because it's a bit more relevant. <laughs> Rabbits versus Seasons. <laughs> look, this one has... Points written all over it, but it could also be one of the ones that really digress. It's sort of like those Roosters South matchups where it can be a really good, entertaining game where you get some points, or it could be one that's really grinding and marred by you know penalties and so forth. Both these teams can go either way on that, um, and we saw the Sea Eagles with very little defence last week have Parramatta score a lot of points on them. So you know I'm going to go that way. I think it really bodes well for uh, Latrell Mitchell in particular if you really wanted that pod VC option or even a C considering he still scored between 60 and 75 range for so far this year, even though he hasn't exploded. You know, that could be still safe-ish um, and it's going to be very, very uh, pod option to go for that as well. But he obviously hasn't hit the strides of last year that yet, Tim. And they are playing away from Four Pines at Manly, which is a big deal. And Latrell will be hurting after last week. So I feel like he could be in for a big one. So real pod one, it may not work out. But if you're looking at a pod C for this round, I think Latrell owners could definitely have a look at it. Yeah, look, I, I agree. Um, it's going to be an interesting one because for me personally, I've got Turbo and I've got Latrell. So I could see either or being a, a possible captaincy option after going VC on Cleary. So that's going to be a little bit of a toss of a coin for me. Um, but if I go Nico, I think he's probably going to be highly captained in that last game. But, yeah, look, it's um, – it's an interesting one. I could see this. Mate, this game could end up being 40 points all. Uh, anything <laughs> could happen. I, I, I don't think it's going to be a dull, boring affair. I think both teams are going to throw the ball around a lot. Um, I, I'd say, I don't see it being eight all. I think it's more likely to be 38 all. Well, he does have top five best score of all time versus Manly side at 141 points. So he has scored big against them in the past. And if you're looking on the other side of the field, you've obviously got Tom Trevojevic, who's coming off yet another ton. Even though he's playing the Rabbits, still looks pretty dangerous. So 
I guess it's a bit hard because he's got 97 and 103. He looks like he's he's basically match-up proof at the moment, like he always has been. When you're choosing between these guys, you know, do you go the turbo or do you say it's a bit of a harder one and you kind of gravitate towards those sort of Cleary or, or Latrell options? Um, because it is away from four pines, which I always find interesting because I always find that Manly seem to perform differently when they're away from home. Yeah, absolutely, mate. They're, they've got the, the stats to prove it. They, they play so much better at, at Brookvale in the old terms. Um, so, yeah, look, I don't know. It's um, it's, it's going to be an interesting game. I think it's going to be fun to watch either way. Yeah, one thing to note with the South Sydney side before we move on is that they are missing a lot of middles now. So Totola being out is going to really hurt them, um, and it means that they're starting Saluka Fafida and Thomas Burgess as their props, and Jacob Host is on an edge. On the bench, they've got Moali, who should get big minutes now. Um, and they've also got Jed Cartwright, Michael Cheekham, and Blake Tuff. So forward-wise, it could open up some room. And we do know that Turbo does like those little plays where he can run through the middle. Uh, and that could happen as well. And he also scored a try last week where he just steamed onto the ball next to the sticks 10 metres out. And that could be on as well because they've got the type of pack anyway that's a little susceptible at times, the big bodies like Tommy Burgess. Um, but also with the lack of middles that they've got, I think that that could be on too. So I actually think the Turbo might be a decent play in this one when a lot of people aren't going to jump on. The Warriors and Bulldogs is a Sunday game that kicks off Super Sunday that's never real super and never lives up to Super Saturdays now. On the Warriors side, um, I'm not sure that they've really established any C options yet. The Bulldogs are pretty much the same. But even though the Warriors are very much improved, I think with the sit start, one of the things that, I'm still on board with, and I was saying to people today, yes, the Warriors are better. Um, they're not better enough for me to not want to start okay players against them. I still think they're susceptible for points, even though we haven't seen that in the early season, so I'm going to bank on that. Uh, so guys like Matt Burton, I'm still happy enough to play and own in this one. But I guess the real question is, when you've got guys like Nickel Clockstar, who's back, and guys like Paul Alamoti, who came into form last week, scoring in the 70s, are these the type of guys that you can throw in your centre wing here um, instead of some of these other options? Yeah, look, I will absolutely be playing Alamotti this week. I think if you had Jacob Perez, you'd be all over him this week in this Warriors game as well. I think both of those players could do really well. Um, mate, just a really quick thing. I just got a message, so hot off the press, uh, Jerome Hughes suspended for two weeks after contesting and lost. Wow, I actually thought that he might have got off that one, so there you go. So the Melbourne Storm's not quite as strong as what we thought, um, although that could give Munster and Harry Grant more ball. So there you go. Yeah, and that's exactly how I'd be looking at it, mate. Um, I was pretty keen on on Harry Grant captaincy on the Friday night and get it over and done with. Um, I think he's uh, he's certainly going to touch the ball a little bit more often now or a, lot, a little bit more um, of the attacking play is going to go through him, even though he's uh, obviously hooker and not, not a halfback, but... Yeah, I think he tries to play about three or four positions on the field anyway. I like it. Um, I do like Clockstad and also Alamodi in this one. Um, they're probably a bit ahead of guys like Carl Pereira and even Warbrick at this stage for me and who I'm going to start in those last couple of cheapy spots in the centre wing. I will say real quick, if you've got Jacob Preston, it has to start him every week at the moment. Until you can see him starting and not pumping out big scores, you keep starting him, and that includes against this Warriors side. The Knights and the Raiders, the 4 o'clock game on the Sunday. For the Knights, it still looks like a bit of a basket case of a side, but they still try pretty hard and they still manage to win in games against teams like the Tigers. So there is that. 
Um, and the Raiders side of things, there isn't too much to talk about super coach wise. So I don't really think that there's a lot of sit start options in these ones. And really, I don't think there's much ownership in the Knights or the Raiders teams. One thing that I will pinpoint on either side, Lachlan Miller, if you do own him coming off the uh, 98 score on the weekend, he's a massive start this week playing at McDonald Jones Stadium. Um, he could be a sneaky ton in your centre wing. So if you do have to go for a real Hail Mary if you're a head-to-head only player, you know he's one of those big pot options that's playing at the end of the week that you could look at. Um, and on the Raiders side for me, Tim, one guy that I earmarked a couple of weeks ago is Hudson Young. He's been scoring pretty poorly. He had his first good score on the weekend, but he's going to be sub 600K after this week. And I'm watching him because uh, the Raiders draw starts to get pretty good from this week, really. But he's going to start dropping points, at a break even at over 100 um, and scoring 38 and 19 in the first two weeks. So 626,000, I'm hoping to get him at 575K. So I'm watching this one with interest with him only because I want him as a future buy. Yeah, look, I agree. He's um, he's certainly got the ability to to knock out a decent score there as far as forwards go. So he's um, he's somebody who I did play around with a little bit in the in the off season with uh, having him in and out of the team. So yeah, look, I can understand the logic there. I think he probably has to get to more five fifty. I think if he gets to five fifty, he's probably an option um, as opposed to um, yeah some of the other. More uh, gun orientated forwards, but yeah, I like your logic there. I can see where you're going that way. I think that I probably won't get to him because I, I actually really rate him to score a try this week against that Knights Edge. Um, I think that he's going to go over. So if you if you like playing draft stars or Moneyball or whatever, then well, I reckon you'd be buying him for this one and you make some cash and get some some wins out of that one. The Dragons and the Sharks are the last game. It's interesting when this is the last game because I know that you said that a lot of people will captain Nico, but, I mean, if he's only ends up being 5.7% owned, then a lot really can't, and I think a lot will be scared off. So, for me, my VC was always going to be Cleary, and my C was always a toss-up between the solid options like Harry Grant or a real balls to the wall. I want a real rocket this week to try and make me feel better after four rounds with my rank going on Nico Hines. And Nico Hines, I think that we saw even in the preseason, looked in really good touch. I don't think that'll change too much. And I do think that the Sharks will still be able to put on points. So I think that he is an option as a pod. If you're going to look at a pod captaincy option, I'm even going to consider it as well, depending on how my head, head, head-to-heads are going early as well and my overall scoring. Uh, and I think that the good thing with Nico is, even though it's his first game of the year, like we said, he's going to be fit still. And he's also someone who... If he has a bad game, you still should get the 50 to 60 out of him in a bad one. So it's not going to be a total loss anyway. Yeah, look, as long as he plays 80 minutes, he's he's absolutely going to get 60 odd points, especially against the Dragons. The only downside, uh, like you're saying, depending on how your points are going, like Harry Grant captaincy is in the, the first game on the Friday night. So it's not as if you can sort of start to weigh up. I mean, obviously, when you see the teams that, that your other head-to-head opponents are putting out, but it's not as if it's like Sunday lunchtime or something and you've, you've got to make a decision. It's um, it's 4.35 o'clock on Friday mm-hmm. night where you've got to decide whether you're captaining Harry Grant or not. So, look, it's... It um, helps more if you're going to do a fullback captaincy, like the the Turbo Vessel Trail um, captaincy on one of those guys where you can flick it to to maybe a hind instead if you really need a boost. And, and that's probably more the way I'd be looking at it, mate, if, you, if you're thinking Trell or, or Turbo and, and tossing that one up. Um, then, yeah, I could understand holding off. Yeah, look, Nico Hines, max score versus the Dragons, 
182 points. Yeah, I was thinking it was one of his big ones. Or only better one. one is the 185 versus the Warriors. That's his yeah. next two games, just to remind yeah, everyone. Yeah. Dragons, yeah, Warriors. Exactly right. <laughs> Look, that'll fit. And the best part is, like we said, if you if you can pull off an early captaincy like that, that can really set you up for the rest of the season. I mean, if he bangs out 150-plus, you're talking 300 points there. Um, that's massive at this time of the year when, when we're all struggling to make a thousand. I would be shocked if he's 3%-plus captain this round. Oh, absolutely shocked because yeah, yeah. he's, he's not going to be highly owned and he's also rightfully, you know, going to be a risk-reward play where it is a risk to do it based on everything. Trindle is on the bench. Um, I have seen some people say that they're not, they won't play 80 minutes. Unless the Sharks are getting flogged, I think the plan will be to play Nico Hines 80 minutes. Um, by all accounts, he could have played last week just about. And Trindle has been on the bench previously and it hasn't taken Nico Hines off in prior years. So I, I wouldn't be that concerned about that. Um, but look, Tim, that does the podcast. Huge episode as always, TLT round four, lot to unpack, but appreciate you jumping on board and chatting with me. It was fantastic to have you on and we'll get you on again real soon. Yeah, mate, it was fantastic. Thank you very much. For- it's, uh, if you don't mind me giving us a plug, mate, it's, uh, yeah, get it off. Plug away, plug get away. Get off the bench. Um, look for us, NRL Supercoach, NRL SC off the bench uh, through Facebook and keep an ear out for our podcast, our weekly articles that we're punching out. Thanks very much for having me, Barnsley. It's uh, it's awesome as always. Beautiful. Well, check out uh, NRL Supercoach off the bench. Fantastic. And also you can check us out on Twitter as well. That's NRL underscore SC underscore all stars. And also download, stream, share us around, subscribe, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, SoundCloud. We are everywhere. And thanks very much for listening as well to everyone. We've also gotten a heap of new listeners lately too, which is fantastic to see. So make sure you continue sharing it along. Also, good luck with your Supercoach team, but if you do want to listen to some more Rugby League talk, Talk and Footy episode will be out this Thursday afternoon as well. We'll be talking all things Rugby League without the Supercoach. If you're not into that, I'll talk to you again next Tuesday for another TLT. Can't wait for the footy to kick off this weekend and can't wait for Supercoach. We'll chat all about it again next week. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get 